What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm really happy to be with you folks today. It's a, a very nice day out today. It was really nice this weekend. Hoping that everyone was able to enjoy this uh, unseasonably warm weather um, that we had this weekend. So uh, excited to be back. You know, I think uh, as I made it pretty clear on the uh, social pages, I hope that everyone understood why it was um, just didn't feel appropriate to uh, put out that guest Friday on Friday talking about the Bruins um, just with um, that, you know, whole situation that has completely blown up in their face and is something that I think the organization should have seen coming. Um, and, you know, I think naturally, I think that's kind of where I want to start because this is kind of an issue that hits really close to, to home for me. Um, you know, the Bruins obviously made news Friday uh, afternoon that they had um, signed Mitchell Miller to an entry-level contract. He was a uh, fourth-round pick of the 2020 draft from the Arizona Coyotes. Um, obviously, when he was 14, he was um, involved in multiple uh, racial bullying incidents with a special needs student um, in Ohio, Isaiah Meyer Crowther, um, and Miller was charged with assault and violation of uh, the Ohio Safe Schools Act. Um, and so, you know, I think that clearly, um, if you're a person that has, you know, paid any attention to um, this particular situation, I mean, when the player was drafted, um, and obviously, you know, all this is being brought up again, and, you know, clearly the wrong decision. You know, there's really no way to defend this, honestly. And, um, you know, it, and I, and I said this on socials, it just is like, it hits really close to home because, you know, being a, being a person that has a disability, you know, and I said, I said again that, you know, talking about my disability is not something that I necessarily like to do because I feel that I don't want, you know, that's, that's something to define who I am. You know, I want to be known as someone more than that, more than just someone with a disability, but it just, it's really difficult when, you know, you have to read something like that. And I don't want to talk about the details because they're, you know, vile, reprehensible actions. And, you know, I guess if you want to read into it, you can, um, but it just is like, thinking about this last night, you know, luckily me and my own personal experience, I was never, you know, bullied in any, in any significant way. Um, and I think the, you know, that kind of, it's hard to say, but I think that kind of, you know, tells it, tell, tells you that I kind of had a, an upbringing that was, um, I don't want to say easy, but you know, clearly, I think going to, to school with a lot of people that, you know, were, were accepting of who I was. And, you know, I never had to be the target of bullying or any, any stuff like that. Um, but still, it doesn't make it any easier. And I think 
just the idea that the Bruins would even consider signing this person um, just disappointed me. And, you know, it should be a disappointment to any fan that is either a disabled fan, you know, in any way, or a fan who is who is African-American. Um, and it just, I don't know, it, it tells me that I don't feel that the organization really cared about those the pop those populations um, and clearly the Bruins have you know at this point I guess you could say made the right decision that they've parted ways uh, with Miller as of as of last night and you know Cam Neely just spoke to the media this morning and to be honest it doesn't really make me feel any better because clearly this was a gross misstep um, by really everyone involved um, in the hockey operations of this team you know, Cam Neely, Don Sweeney, scouting, you know, whatever, whoever was involved in this type of decision. And I don't really care that he was 14. I don't really care that, you know, supposedly he's done things to right himself, but there's a huge difference between, you know, doing court mandated, uh, you know, community service or whatever you want to call it. And you know, doing stuff like that of your own free will. Um, and it just, to me, that tells me that, okay, he, you know, allegedly volunteered or, you know, did these things, but it's like, did he do them because he had to, or did he do them because he wanted to? And so, you know, it just, it's just disappointing because I feel like the front office didn't, didn't care enough about, you know, fans of that population. And, didn't care about the players, you know? I mean, how, how do you make a decision like this without consulting the players? Or, you know, if you do and the players ask you why, maybe you shouldn't do that, you know? Like, it just, it, it, it the whole thing just doesn't make sense. And it's a huge, you know, black mark on this team. And it's going to follow them the rest of the season. And it's just unfortunate because... This team is playing the best hockey it's ever played in the history of the franchise. But yet no one in the hockey ops, you know, had the awareness to be like, hey, we don't need this right now. We don't need this PR nightmare. And I don't want to say PR nightmare in terms of like making light of the situation because that's not what I'm trying to do. But it's just, why would you invite this? You know, you do not have to be the team and the group of people that has to rehabilitate another, you know, white hockey player who, you know, has doled out racial abuse. You know, it's, it's, it's all too often in this sport, unfortunately, that you get a pass if you're good. You get a pass if you are talented. You get a pass if... You know, you can score 50 goals in a season, whatever, you know. And it's not that this matters, but it's not like we're talking about a kid who, you know, is a can't-miss prospect. We're not talking about a kid who is was going to go, you know, number one overall. We're talking about a kid who's just kind of an average prospect, and it's just, it's not worth it, you know. Not that it would ever be worth it, no matter who, no matter how talented no matter how talented a player is, you know, committing these vile acts, 
you know, this player has no place in the NHL. And, you know, even the commissioner said, you know, he doesn't see that he's ever going to be eligible to play. And so it's just, I, I don't understand how the Bruins could just so grossly mishandle this whole situation, make the decision to sign this player. Why wasn't the league contacted? Why wasn't the victim's family contacted? I mean, that is kind of the thing that blows my mind that, you know, not only did this player not really apologize, you know, what an Instagram DM, really? Is that really enough of an apology? Like, I just, and I don't understand how the team could spend all this time working with the player and the player's family and not have a second to think about, okay, how about the victim's family? How is the victim's family going to react when you make this decision? And I kind of don't believe Cam Neely when he says he didn't know the type of backlash that the team was going to have because of this decision. And I just think he's lying. I think that absolutely they knew that this was going to happen. It's just there's a difference between second chances and someone making a mistake when they're 14 years old, but this is not a mistake. You know, this is not something that he did accidentally. This is not like he was, you know, caught with marijuana possession in high school. It's not like he was, you know, underage drinking or some other thing that's not really that serious. This is serious. This is probably, you know, one of the worst things that you could read about that like a 14 year old could do. And it's just, this is not a mistake. This is, you know, years and years of, you know, concerted effort to, you know, make someone feel small, you know, repeated use of racial slurs and, and racial abuse. And it's just, this is not an isolated incident. And it just blows my mind that this organization could think that it's an isolated incident and think that, okay, it's just a one-time thing. It's not very clearly, it's not, you know, according to the victim's mother. So, you know, I guess good for them to come to their senses and get rid of this kid, but it's kind of too little too late. Um, and I think that the damage, unfortunately, has already been done. And I think it's been done to a lot of people that, you know, root for this team and want to support this team. And there are a lot of people that I think might not support this team going forward. And there are people like me who, I'll be honest, I don't really know what to do. You know, I'll, I won't lie to you. I won't lie to everyone. Like, this is not a situation that I'm prepared for. You know, you're never prepared for something like this. And I just, just me as a fan and being a fan and being someone that is you know, kind of poured their heart and soul into rooting for a team, you know. It just kind of goes against everything that the organization has worked so hard to build. You know, you think about signing Chara in 2006 and, you know, how much the team culture was so important, you know, and you have guys like Bergeron, you have guys like, you know, David Krejci and Marchand and you know, guys who have played for this organization and the the culture that they build around this team. And it just, to be so tone deaf and sign a player that 
you know, does not stand for any of those things is just, it's just gross mismanagement really is what it is. So, you know, I kind of don't really want to spend too much time on this because it, it, it sucks and it's something that it's hard for me personally to talk about, but you know, um, yeah, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to be positive about this, you know, and be positive about this hockey team when, you know, they're off to a 10 and two start. They're playing the best hockey that I think I've seen them play in, you know, almost 10 years at this point. You know, I think they have not had a team this deep since those cup teams that went, you know, to the final 2011, 2013. They've not had this type of depth in years. So, you know, I just hope that the players in that room can kind of move on from this and be able to be like, okay, you know, we got to control what we can control. And one of the things that I think is kind of a silver lining from this whole thing is the players never budged and the players from the jump said that they were not comfortable with this. There were guys that questioned this decision you know, you heard Bergeron and Nick Foligno and Marchand, you know, talk about this, you know, and I just, I feel terrible for them because they're being put in a position where they have to answer for, you know, the front office's, you know, gross mishandling of this situation. It's ridiculous that they had to answer questions about that, you know, and that they had to essentially put out the fires that the organization kind of brought on the team. And, you know, one of the things I come back to is, you know what, the guys in that room, they know what is wrong and what is right, and they stand for what is right. And, you know, that's what I'm going to support. I'm going to support the players because they know that that type of behavior is unacceptable, and it's unacceptable at any age. Um, and so it just that kind of made me feel better a little bit that, okay, the players were really not okay with this from the jump. Um, and that just tells me that, okay, they understand. And they completely understand that hockey and sports in general is about inclusion and diversity. And, you know, it's not welcoming to people that, you know, act that way. And it never should be. So... You know, it's, I'll be honest, you know, this has kind of been a hard morning for me because I'm kind of, you know, not really sure how to handle this whole thing. Um, and so I'll just be honest, today's podcast is probably going to be a lot different. You know, it's probably not going to be very long. You know, there are some things I want to talk about, you know, definitely want to continue to talk about the Bruins and their hockey team um, and the players and how well they've been playing and then you know, Patriots and Celtics too, but I think I'm probably not going to talk about anything else. I just kind of want to keep it short and sweet, to be perfectly honest, but um, kind of continuing with the Bruins, you know, finally the Bruins uh, lost the game on Saturday, second game of the season, their second loss of the season, I should say, um, in Toronto. Um, I'll just be honest, this was a really fun game to watch, uh, two to one, you know, really a high intensity playoff-like atmosphere. Um, in this game, Bruins come up short, um, really seem to have a tough time in the neutral zone. You know, Toronto did a really good job of kind of slowing down the Bruins in the neutral zone. Bruins, you know, had chances, didn't get a lot of shots on goal, which was a little bit concerning, but I think, I'm sorry, Steam's 10-1. and 1. It's hard for me to 
or tendency, it's hard for me to be like, okay, they didn't get enough shots on goal. Oh, that's really concerning. You know, it's one game. It's one loss. It was the end of a road trip. Toronto's a good team. Uh, Bruins did get a goal. Brad Marchand with probably the most beautiful penalty shot goal I've ever seen. Um, but, uh, you know, Bruins come up short, you know, tough loss for them, but, um, they're back at it tonight. Bruins will host the St. Louis Blues at the Garden. Bruins will also be, uh, showing off their new, uh, reverse retro jerseys. The, uh, Pooh Bear is making a return, so that will be very exciting. And the Bruins also revealed, um, the logo for the 2023 Discover NHL Winter Classic with the old uh, bear or the uh, meth bear, as it's known in in some circles. But uh, that will be the logo. We have not seen the jerseys yet, but obviously exciting to see the reverse retros with the Pooh Bear making a return. Um, but, you know, tough loss for the Bruins. Um, but they do have a couple of interesting Western Conference opponents this week. Bruins will host... St. Louis tonight, and then they will host Calgary Thursday night. Both teams are kind of middling around 500. Bruins then will travel to Buffalo Saturday for a game um, against the Sabres. Sabres are playing some decent hockey to start the year, so I'm interested to see how that game goes. Bruins then will host Vancouver on Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, so Bruins are busy this week with four games. Um, Derek Forbert is going to be out four to six weeks got surgery on his right middle finger, so obviously it makes things a little challenging for the defense, but um, Charlie McAvoy may be returning sometime soon, um, so I'm kind of curious to see when that happens. Don't think he's coming back this week per se, but I think he could return in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, just kind of looking back at the games the Bruins had last week, um, obviously the 6-5 overtime win in Pittsburgh, uh, just a classic Bruins comeback. Bruins down 5-2 to two in the second period. I'll be honest, and I said this to someone, I was really never concerned with that game. I thought the Bruins had it the whole way, to be honest. That's just the way that Pittsburgh plays. They're just so fast and loose, and I think they're a team that they have an ability that they just give up a lot of high-danger chances, and Tristan Jari is not exactly the best goalie in the league. You know, it's kind of more of a, you know, theatrical goalie than an actual goalie if you know what I'm talking about um so but that was a great comeback win you know Lindholm was fantastic he was really good in New York as well the Bruins beat the Rangers last week five to two so it just seems like everyone's playing well you know which is excellent and I think Lindholm is starting to show you that okay this is the guy that you traded for last year this is a guy who at his best can be a legitimate number one defenseman. And I think for, for on some teams in the league, he could be a number one. And the fact that the Bruins are going to possibly have him and McAvoy playing on a pair together just is ridiculous. And I think what's so great, I think, is if McAvoy comes back, you still have a lot of depth. You know, you still have a lot of depth on defense. And I think you can have the ability to play Lindholm and McAvoy on the same pair. Or you could you know, switch it up and, you know, play Grizzlick and McAvoy in that first pair, um, and then Carlo and Lindholm. And I think then in certain late-game situations, you could have McAvoy and Lindholm play together, similar to the way that the Bruins have had David Pasternak jump up to the top line 
in in some games recently. Not not that he's like started the game there, but I think the Bruins have the ability that they can put Pasternak on that first line. Let's say if they're down a goal in the third period, or you know the Bruins are really feeling it. So I think that's really exciting that the Bruins can bring guys into the lineup and kind of have a lot of different options, which is great. So. Hopefully things continue this week for this team um, and the Bruins can kind of focus on playing. You know, you look at statistics-wise, Pasternak's been unbelievable. You know, it's a matter of time before he gets that contract signed. Uh, Lindholm's been amazing. He's 13 points in 12 games, you know, which is pretty ridiculous. You know, he's a guy that I think has always had good offensive ability, but what he's showing now, it's like you forget that McAvoy is out. It's kind of crazy. You know, he's been playing top pair minutes. You've had other guys that have been able to play up there with him, whether it's, you know, Clifton or uh, Grizzlick. You know, you've seen a couple of different, a couple of different combinations. Taylor Hall has started to pick it up. I think he's kind of a little bit slow out of the gate, but he's started to figure it out recently. Uh, David Krejci just returned from um, injured reserve, he had missed a couple of games, so it was good to see him back. I think good to see Charlie Coyle uh, performing. He had scored in the four straight games before that was snapped on Saturday. Uh, Nick Felino's playing well. Pavel Zaka's playing well. Uh, you know, Marchand really showing no signs of being slow after that injury, um, or showing no signs of slowing down after the uh, surgeries. He has five points in four games. He has four goals. Um, Connor Clifton's playing outstanding hockey. You know, he's a guy that I did want to highlight because, you know, having him and Forbert, and I know that Forbert's injured right now, but having him and Forbert playing the big minutes that they were playing at the beginning of the year, I think is going to be huge once you get later into the season and maybe into the playoffs because I think at full health, Clifton and Forbert is your third pair. And it's like, if that's your third pair, that they can play big minutes and they can be really good defensively and be able to jump up into the play, I mean, that's going to make your team so much deeper in the postseason. So that is exciting to see that they're having some guys that are playing major minutes early on, and I think it's going to pay off down the stretch. Um, Linus Olmark has been outstanding, you know. One of the concerns I have, you know, now with Swayman also hurt, um, is that the Bruins might be riding Olmark a little bit too much, you know. And I understand that you want to play your hot goalie, you want to play your best guy, but you don't want to be f having him flame out middle of the season. You know, I think that with Swayman now being hurt and, you know, I don't want to speculate, but the injury that he suffered in Pittsburgh did not look very good, so... You know, Keith Kincaid is the backup, and I think, look, the Bruins can afford to have him start some games. You know, I'm not going to say that, oh, the Bruins should go out and lose games intentionally, but you can't be having Olmark playing all these games. You know, I do think that they kind of need to give, give Kincaid some games, you know, give Swayman some games when he's back healthy, but, you know, he's playing great right now, but I think... You want to be able to keep him fresh. You don't want to be, you know, riding him into the ground where, you know, you get to March and he's totally burned out. Um, you know, I think uh, 
that's going to be interesting to see, but the Bruins are playing at an all-time an all-time level right now. Actually, believe it or not, they're not even the best team in the league anymore. <laughs> you know, Vegas has continued to play just totally out of their minds. Um, the Bruins are 10-2 and at the moment. I believe that Vegas is 11-2 and if I look at the... Uh, look at the standings real quick yes Vegas 11 and 2 um, but interesting week for the Bruins with uh, St. Louis St. Louis 3 and 6 to start the year so they're not off to a good start they have just six points which is actually the fewest in the league or fewest in the league tied with Columbus I should say um, then the Bruins will play Calgary later this week Flames are 5-4 and 1 at the moment with 11 points and then the Bruins will play Buffalo on Saturday night. And then they will play Vancouver on Sunday evening. So a lot of games back-to-back at the end of the week. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Bruins handle this week. Um, I don't think that there's really been any changes in the lineup. Um, I think that Craig Smith is getting closer to be available. Um, J- Jacob Lauko obviously scored his first career goal in Pittsburgh, which was great to see. And it's great to see him and Felino and Nosek, you know, playing really well in, on that fourth line. I think Trent Frederick is playing well. You know, I think that he's doing the simple things. And I think one of the things for, for Montgomery is I think that he's simplifying Trent's game. That he's like, okay, you know, you hit, hunt and hit, I think was, the, uh, was one of those words that he used. Um, but I think that Trent's doing a great job getting to the front of the net. Uh, creating kind of some chaos in front of the goal, you know, not trying to do too much. I think that one of the issues with him last year was I think the messaging was a little bit not clear, you know, that the Bruins wanted to try to make him into more of kind of an offensive player. But I think the Bruins may not have been playing to his strengths. And I think that that's one of the things that Montgomery is doing. And, you know, you're seeing some results because that third line is playing really well. Coyle Frederick, you know, are playing well. And one of the things I really like about Montgomery is he is uh, not afraid to kind of mix up the lines during the games um, and kind of just put guys in different spots. And, you know, one of the things that I think you have to remember is he's a completely new coach, completely new to the organization. He doesn't have any preconceived notions about any players. And so he's going to be willing to put guys in different spots and see how they respond. And I think it was great to see when Krejci went down for a few games, you saw Pavel Zaka get a chance to be that second-line center. And I think, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, whatever you want to say, unfortunately, the Bruins do have to sign him this offseason. So I'm kind of hoping that he can return because I think he's a guy that absolutely could kind of be a center of the future uh, for your team. Um, that I think once everyone's back healthy, you probably see him playing on the third line. Um, but I think he's shown you that he has the ability to, you know, play a little bit of top line as he did at the very, very beginning of the season, you know, and now, or when Krejci was out centering a line with uh, Pasternak and Hall. So that is going to be interesting to see going forward, just to see how the Bruins use someone like Zaka. So, I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to get into the Patriots next. We'll probably do a little bit of Celtics after that. Um, So clearly, 
a win for the Patriots yesterday. Uh, definitely, I would say, not the prettiest game. You know, it was kind of what the, um, what the analysis was last week as well. Um, but I do think that, you know, before we get too excited and talk about, you know, Mac Jones and regressing or whatever the heck the hot take artists want to talk about right now, um, they're winning games, you know, and as I kind of tried to allude to last week, this is not a team that's going to be winning with style points. It's just, it just, the personnel is just, I don't want to say that it's not good enough. That's not, you know, really what I'm trying to say, but I think you look at the personnel of this team on offense and you kind of look at the way that they have kind of struggled from game to game. Um, it's just not a team that is going to be able to blow you away with offensive talent, with amazing offensive play. And I think games like yesterday, and I know that the Colts were a disaster from an offensive standpoint, and that's totally legit. The Colts have a very, very good front seven. That is one of the best front sevens um, in the league. You know, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, they have a lot of really good players. You know, and then you have the really good guys at linebacker. Um, Zaire Franklin had a really good game yesterday. Um, Quiddy Pay also had a good game too yesterday. And the uh, Colts had four sacks, eight tackles for loss. Um, and it just was a game that I think the Patriots kind of got dominated at the offensive line or at the in the trenches. Um, and I think that's kind of more of the story for me yesterday than it was, you know, Mac Jones and whatever the whatever anyone wants to say about him regressing or, you know, whatever nonsense people want to say. That game was more about the offensive line. And I think no matter no matter what you draw up on offense, if your quarterback is not comfortable enough you know, stepping up in the pocket, you know, looking to his second second read. If you're, if it's just like that tells you that the offensive line is not good enough um, and it's really not been good enough for a couple of weeks. And it's just like they can easily get overpowered um, against a group like the Colts and a group like the Jets. So, you know, when the Patriots play really good defenses like yesterday, it's not going to be games where they're going to be able to, you know, do a lot. I mean, I think that really their only touchdown was courtesy of an outstanding defensive or a special teams play by Jonathan Jones, you know, block punt. That was really the only reason they scored a touchdown. But I think that the line needs to be better. I think that Mac needs to be better. Um, and I do think that maybe the Patriots tried to do too much with him at the beginning of the season. And you know, tried to do too many kind of long, not long developing, but like deeper developing plays down the field. And I think that was something that, you know, maybe they went a little bit too quickly. Maybe they went too far to do that. And they really should have kind of stuck to what worked last season is not try to be a team that constantly tries to take shots deep. Because clearly they've been doing that a lot this season, and it's not really worked. You know, you look at Mac Jones, and he's not really made a lot of great decisions throwing deep. And so I think that, sure, 
is some of the onus on the coaching staff sure that you know could they have made things a little more simpler at the beginning of the season and now but it's like look they're winning games they've won four out of their last five you know i personally i don't care how it looks if you are winning games you're winning games and it's not pretty necessarily but i really kind of don't want to hear the oh the patriots offense is setting getting setting back to the stone age or whatever it's just like look the way that you played with brady was different because you know he was at the top of his game and uh, you know being a part of an offense that could score 30 points at will you're not an offense that can do that right now and so you have to take you have to take wins like this and just kind of be fine with it because they're not just going to magically turn into the Kansas City Chiefs I think that yes you wanted to expect that Mac Jones could improve on last season and to think that he could take that next step. But it's like sometimes there's second-year slumps that happen with guys who have good rookie seasons. It happens. You know, you saw Josh Allen struggle for a couple years until he was the quarterback that he is right now. And, you know, even he didn't play really well yesterday. But I think that you have to kind of be able to be patient um, and that was one of the things that I tried to say at the beginning of the season that okay we all want this team to have the ability to win 12 games and be in the mix for the division but sometimes it doesn't work out that way and I think you just have to work with what you have and what the Patriots are right now is a good defensive team that can come up with come up with turnovers you have a really good special teams group you have a good kicker you know you have an offense that I think can do well against defenses that are not like elite defenses. And I think that you kind of just have to be fine with the type of team that they are, you know, and look, Mac Jones did not play great yesterday, but I think that there's still small incremental signs of improvement. I don't think he's regressing. I think people that are saying things like that are looking for easy buzzwords to get people up in arms and get people to be like, oh, well, this guy sucks. They need to go back to Zappy, you know, and I think that's all that's all the conversation is going to be this week, unfortunately, that it's all going to be how Mac Jones sucks and how he's regressing and how the team can't win any games despite winning four out of their last five. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to be what it's going to be yesterday, but I think they got a bye week. Then they got the Jets next week, um, and I think really could be a game that maybe the offense can figure it back out. But the offensive line cannot be as bad as they were against the Jets last week, because if they are, there's no chance that they're winning the game. Um, I know that, you know, Zach Wilson threw interceptions in that in that game a week ago, but I don't really think you can bank on the fact that he's going to do it again. Because honestly, he took care of the ball pretty well yesterday, and the Bills or the Jets beat the Bills. So, you know, and I also think it's a huge game for the division too. If the Patriots can win that game and get to six and four, you know, they get they get closer to the Bills, and it's like, you know, if they win that game, the division gets a lot more interesting. Um, I did think it was good to see Hunter Henry got involved in the passing game a little bit more yesterday. 
four receptions, 50 yards. You know, Johnny Smith had a couple catches. Um, the Bills were kind of really able to take away a lot of what the Patriots wanted to do downfield. And that was probably one of the other reasons why they didn't really move the ball as well. The Colts are a pretty good coverage team. You know, Stephon Gilmore can still play. Um, oh, jeez, who's like Kenny Moore, you know, is, is very good. Um, I don't think, I don't even know if he allowed a catch yesterday. But it's just like you have to take what you can get. And I think that's what this game was yesterday. And I think the offense, yes, they are going to struggle against teams that have really talented front sevens because I don't really think that their offensive line can do a good enough job to protect Mac Jones. And I think that was why Mac Jones did not look good yesterday is because the, for the protection wasn't good enough. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think that he is not seeing the field as well as he did last year. And I think it's more of the player than it is, you know, the offensive scheme. Um, I think kind of just from looking at that, you look at how often, you know, Mac Jones looks at his first receive, looks at his first read, it's not there, and he takes off and runs. Um, and I just feel like it's telling a little bit about the confidence that maybe he has or doesn't have him in himself that, you know, he doesn't have the enough, he doesn't have the proper time to throw. And then when he does, he's not really making the right decisions. So, you know, you got to hope that that improves. You got to hope with the bye week, the Patriots can kind of work on some things, but they're not going back to Bailey Zappi because I think you want to stick with your guy. And I think unless Mac Jones reverts back to the turnover-prone guy that you saw in the first couple weeks of the season, they're not going back to Bailey Zappi. And I think, you know, Mac had his moments yesterday like he did against the Jets. Um, and you got to hope that, you know, the incremental improvements can kind of, you know, it can kind of add up and that he can have, you know, a better game against the Jets in two weeks um, because they really need him to, they really need him to play better because, you know, I think this is a team that, you know, you look at the last seven games that they have this season or last eight games even, if you want to say that, it's probably the toughest schedule in the league. You know, you got the Jets, you got the Bills that you have to play twice got to play the Dolphins again, you got to play the Bengals, you know, Vegas and Arizona, those teams are not going to be easy to beat. I don't care how bad their record is. You know, Arizona's got Kyler Murray. You've seen how poorly the Patriots have been defending running quarterbacks. And it's like Vegas still has a lot of talent. Is Josh McDaniel still going to be coaching that team by that point? Who knows? Um, will he be on the Patriots staff by that point? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I think that's a legitimate question that he might not be coaching the Raiders by that point. But it's not going to be easy. You know, Devontae Adams is still elite. I mean, he's not really affecting winning as much as you would like. You have one, like one reception in the second half yesterday. And the uh, Raiders blow, blew another 17-point lead. Lost in Jacksonville. They're now 2-6. and six. So, you know, maybe you look at that game and you say, okay, they should win that game. But... There's not a game you can look at the next, you know, eight games that they have and say, okay, that's a win. Um, and that's why I think you look at how difficult it is, and I think that this fan base needs to be comfortable with not making the playoffs. 
And I know that that's something that is like sacrilege to Patriots fans, but, you know, you look at the way that they've been playing, and I'm not trying to say that it's, you know, oh, sky is falling, it's all that bad, because the Patriots are right in the thick of the playoff chase, which is good. But I think the expectations kind of need to be tempered a little bit that, you know, yes, we want them to be better than last season because you always want to be able to improve on that. But sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. You know, it's sports. Sometimes things don't make sense. So I think that's kind of all I got for the Patriots. We'll be talking uh, with Dominic Cucinata later this week and kind of do a midseason report, give you thoughts about how we feel about the team at the midway point of the season. I talked to Dom at the beginning of the season, so curious to uh, get his thoughts on this team as we are pretty much at the halfway point, you know, nine games played out of uh, 17. So looking forward to that conversation later this week. So I think we'll talk about the Celtics, and then I'll probably... Uh, call it a day. Um, definitely let me know if you guys like this uh, type of format. You know, I think that wanting or being a Boston sports podcast, I think I kind of want to have more of an emphasis on the Boston teams. But, you know, if you guys enjoy hearing me talk about other things, you know, don't hesitate to let me know. But if you enjoy just the local team stuff, you know, let me know too. Um, So the Celtics had a pretty successful weekend with uh, back-to-back wins against the Bulls and Knicks. Celtics offense has been outstanding out of the gate. Um, You know, that's been one of the things that I think was kind of not a concern, but kind of interesting to see, okay, without, you know, with a new coach, how do the Celtics perform on offense? And the early returns are still great. You know, Derek Welch and I talked about this uh, when he was on Guest Friday a week and a half ago, that the early returns are great. You know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum playing at a high level. You know, Tatum's averaging 30 points a game through nine games. Jalen Brown right behind him, right behind him, 25.3 a game. Um, I think, you know, Jason specifically is just becoming so much more efficient in his offensive game which is dangerous for the rest of the league. You know, 30 points a game, shooting 50% from the field. You know, his if you add up his averages, you know, he's shooting 10 for 20 is his is his average per game, which is good. You know, it's efficient. 20 field goal attempts, 10 makes. You know, he's getting to the free throw line at a really high clip, eight free throw attempts a game, shooting 90% from the free throw line. He had 20 attempts the other night against the Bulls. Um, and so I think the biggest thing for him is you're seeing his efficiency get even better. And I think that that was one of the things that you wanted to see a little bit better from him um, is getting to the free throw line, being more efficient in his offensive game. You know, I think he might be taking a tad too many three-pointers, but, you know, 30 points a game, you really can't find too much to be upset about with that. You know, Jalen's been outstanding. You know, I think that the shooting numbers could be a little bit better, but I just think, you know, Jalen's a type of player where he's going to put up a lot of shots. You know, being efficient is not necessarily his strong suit, but I think when he and Jason are both efficient, that's when this team is at its best. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon has been amazing. He's been even better than advertised, I'll be honest. 
you know, averaging 15, min 15 points a game, but he's only playing 24 minutes, which I think is exactly what the Celtics wanted, that, okay, he is going to be a guy that's going to elevate our second unit. And he's done exactly that, gotten to the basket, knocking down threes, you know, he's exactly the player that I think everyone remembers when he's healthy, that it's like, okay, this guy is a really good basketball player. Um, and I think it's, he's playing so well to the point that you're wondering, okay, maybe should he start? But I think that Marcus Smart is playing decent to start the season as well. You know, maybe taking too many shots, you know, that's what Marcus is going to do, unfortunately. But he's averaging six assists a game. And I think, you know, he's still going to do the things that he does. But I think, you know, from an offensive standpoint, getting other guys involved, he's been really good. Uh, Sam Hauser has been unbelievable. He continues to knock down shots. You know, he's shooting he's shooting 54.8% from three. You know, gives them another guy that they can bring off the bench, knock down threes. Um, you know, I think talking about how good they've been offensively is great, but I think defensively there's been a little bit to be desired from this team. Um, you know, I think allowing a lot of points had become an issue in some of these games. You know, you look at the the losses to Chicago and Cleveland like two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, not last week, not last, two weeks ago, you know, giving up 120, 132, you know, in a win against Orlando, they gave up 120. Um, you know, maybe it's getting a little bit better. You know, it was a tough overtime loss in Cleveland last week. Celtics had a win against Washington. You know, I thought the Celtics played better defensively in the second half against the Knicks. So that was at least good to see. But, you know, I think that defensively there needs to be better communication with the guys that are on the floor. And, you know, specifically, I don't know if the Celtics are doing things differently. It does seem like they're playing a little bit less or they're doing a little bit less switching. You know, Adam Taylor would probably be a great person to, um, you know, follow the things that he tweets. Uh, if you haven't followed him on Twitter, you should. Um, at Adam Taylor NBA, talk to him. Um, at the beginning of the preseason before the season started. Um, but he's someone that is very, you know, in tune with specifically the things that are going on offensively and defensively. Um, you know, a guy who's a really smart basketball mind, uh, really understands the game at a really high level, probably higher than I do. But, you know, he would probably be someone that could give you a, uh, an idea of maybe what they're doing differently defensively. It does seem like they're not switching as much as they did last last season. You know, not having Robert Williams, I think, definitely affects it. Um, you know, hopefully he can return soon. It does sound like he is traveling with the team. So, you know, maybe it's not out of the question that he could return at some point in November. I think December was the expectation that he would return. But, you know, I think you want to be totally careful with him and make sure that there's not going to be there's not going to be an injury uh what's what's the word I'm looking for like a not re-injuring but like they don't they don't bring him back too soon you know I think that the Celtics are playing really well offensively and they played well the last two games six and three you know is probably where you want to be um so you know, I think the Celtics can still play 
at a high level without Rob Williams. It's not like, you know, they're sitting at six and three and they're like, oh my God, we need Robert Williams back desperately. I think that we all know how important he is to this Celtics team. So I think, you know, not rushing him back is, is huge. Um, but I think they're playing well enough offensively that I don't think I'm gravely concerned. You know, rebounding has been an issue in certain games, and that's legitimate. But I think, you know, once Rob comes back, that's going to improve. You know, it's kind of curious that the Celtics are um, playing Luke Cornett a little bit more recently. And I think it makes sense because, you know, Luke's a guy that the Celtics are still trying to figure out, you know, what he can give them from a, you know, night-to-night standpoint. And I think the Celtics know what Blake Griffin and Noah Vonley can do. You know, more playing time is not really going to tell them more. You know, I think Blake can get into games. He can affect, you know, offense. He can make shots. He can rebound. You know, Vonley, I think, has been a good rebounder. But um, I think there was a... There's a five-man unit that played... Friday night's game, um, I was kind of switching back and forth on Saturday night, so I wasn't paying attention to lineups necessarily, but there was a five-man unit that the Celtics used on Friday night with Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, uh, Sam Hauser, Brogdon, and Luke Cornett, and I thought that that group of five played really, really well together, and so, you know, I think that this team definitely is going to have a bit of a weakness with rebounding, especially with Rob out, but I think once he comes back, it's going to kind of clean itself up. But I think from a defensive standpoint, the Celtics need to do better. Um, And I think need to communicate better. And I think, you know, the focus has to be there. And, you know, not trying to say that they've not been focused. um, Because I think they have been focused out of the gate this season. You know, that they are making it a priority that you know, they don't slip after getting to the finals last year that, you know, they're not satisfied and they want to play at this high level. And, you know, it's encouraging that they've been able to play well out of the gate. You know, obviously it's not been perfect, but I think with the coaching change and with, you know, kind of all the, all this stuff that's flying around with, you know, Ime Udoka possibly coaching the Nets or what have you, I think that they've done a pretty good job staying focused. And I think, you know, there definitely still are some maybe concerns with Missoula as a coach, but I think he has had this team focused. Um, And I think from an offensive standpoint, they've started the season about as well as you could. Defensively, I think there's definitely some room for improvement, but I think for the most part, they have done a good job early. And, you know, 6-3, and you'll definitely take that. Uh, Taking a look at the Celtics' schedule for the rest of the week. Like the Bruins, the uh, Celtics are very busy. Sorry about the beeping in the background. They're doing some uh, construction on my street. Um, The Celtics will uh, travel to Memphis, play the Grizzlies tonight. Um, and then they will play in Detroit, or excuse me, then they have home games Wednesday night and Friday night. Detroit comes to the Garden Wednesday at 7.30, then the Celtics play the Nuggets on Friday, and then the Celtics will travel to Detroit for a game on Saturday night. So 
back-to-backs this weekend for both the Celtics and the Bruins. Celtics are Friday, Saturday. Bruins are Saturday, Sunday. But busy week for both of these teams. Celtics have four games, two of them against Detroit, and then Denver, and then Memphis tonight. So be interesting to see how they do against Memphis uh, tonight. So I don't believe there's any Red Sox news other than Xander Bogarts has opted out of his contract, which I think is expected. Um, you know, it's a little unfortunate that the Red Sox couldn't sign him before it came up, but, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be, but I, my stance really hasn't changed. They should sign him. You know, I think I'd be wary about how much they give him. You know, I think that you want to be a little careful with a guy who's 29. You know, I think signing someone like that to an eight-year deal is a little bit risky. You know, I just hope and pray that the front office can, you know, figure out something with him, um, that they can bring him back. And then more, more importantly, maybe, arguably, however you view that, that they can get uh, Devers signed as well. And then, you know, build out the rest of this roster so they can be a playoff team next year. You know, I really think that the Red Sox have to have a good offseason. You know, I think that they are in a position where, you know, they might be, they might go into next season, you know, expected to be last place in the AL East because you have four other teams that, you know, three of them are legitimate teams, like legitimate playoff teams. And then you have Baltimore who's starting to figure it out, have the manager of the year and Brandon Hyde. So uh, this is a team that really needs to be careful to not, um, not um, not be passed by a team like Baltimore. You know, I think that, yes, the Red Sox do need to spend. They need to be smart about it. I'm not going to go, you know, full 2009 New York Yankees where they spent like half a billion dollars in free agency. I'm not saying that they should do that, but I do think that uh, you do need to be able to do enough to improve this team, you know, on the field. I think... Outfield, there needs to be some improvements, and then clearly, I think the starting rotation and the bullpen too. So, you know, that'll be interesting to see with um, a bunch of big name players um, opting out of their contracts or having or having opt outs in their contracts, and then they've opted out. So, be an interesting off season. You know, we'll be talking to Eric Bellier probably multiple times during the off season about what's going on. So, I'm looking forward to that. You know, obviously, congratulations to uh, Dusty Baker and the Houston Astros for winning the World Series on a Saturday night. Pretty exciting game six. You know, Dusty Baker, baseball lifer, you know, hard to not be happy for a guy like that who, you know, winning the World Series, kind of putting the cherry on top uh, for his career. You know, me personally, I have my feelings about the Astros, you know, and I'm sure a lot of other people do, do too. Um, but good for Dusty, good for the organization. They, you know, get a championship and a uh, pretty exciting run for the Philadelphia Phillies. I will say that uh, they were pretty exciting to watch in the postseason. So um, I think it's probably going to do it for me this week. You know, things were a little bit different with kind of just the local teams. But uh, let me know how you guys like that. You know, if you prefer it that way or do you want me to get back to talking about other stuff? You know, did talk a little bit about other things going on in the sports world, but um, 
yeah, I think that's going to do it for me. Uh, looking forward to Guest Friday later this week with uh, Dominic Cucinata talking paths, doing kind of a mid-season uh, checkpoint, if you will. Um, and yeah, as always, you listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You know, follow the socials on Twitter and Facebook. You know, do all the, the rating stuff. Give us a follow on Spotify, all those things. Um, and everyone enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your week. And we will talk to you on Friday.